Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sign up with my bookie. Use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. It is game week, and you know Gators Breakdown is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. This week is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter, at WillMilesSEC. Will Miles is already so pumped for a uh, game week. He's already got a Florida FAU preview up at Reed Reaction. Will, man, we are we we, we made it, man. It, it's uh, kickoff on Saturday. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long off season. I, I'm I'm pretty fired up. I got my tickets down for Alabama. The plane tickets are are purchased, and I'm on my way. And it looks like uh, going to be a full swamp and going to be fun for the first three weeks of the season. And, you know, just really looking forward to getting this one kicked off. I think uh, you, you told me before I came on, I'm going to have to dial it back a little bit because I'm I'm too excited for the season to start, man. But I mean, this is what we live for, right? I mean, I'm trying to keep the level up. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, we we spend all off season sort of arguing amongst each other like you know we're sitting there complaining about recruiting back and forth and we're talking about you know who should be the quarterback and and the offensive line and all that sort of stuff and then the season hits and now it's us against everybody else it's us making fun of our rivals so i sort of started that out i wrote something with a pretty decent uh pretty decent dig at kirby this week too so i'm I'm getting in the mood man digging at the rivals and get ready for the season ready for the season We, we we definitely are so plenty to get into will of course the not that it matters also much. Week one depth chart got released, so we get to go over that just a little bit. Uh, we know Dan Mullen's feeling about depth charts, and we kind of know uh, what it means and what it doesn't mean a lot of the time. Uh, so we'll quickly hit that, like I said. I, don't, you can, I think you can take a little bit from it, but not a whole lot from it, uh, this whole depth chart there. Of course, uh, a big transfer the Gators get today. Very, uh, very 
I mean, it, it's been in the works for a little while, uh, but finally announced today for the Gators. And then, Will, our fun season predictions that we get to do, our over-unders, our superlatives that we give to Gators uh, should be a lot of fun here for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Remember, you can find us at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the podcast episodes there. YouTube, if you're, hitting that, if you're hitting that YouTube version, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button right now. Really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown, and you can check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Will, here we go. Depth chart gets released. There it is. Everybody can see if you missed it. Here we go. We'll start from the top. Richard Garage, left tackle, no surprise. Ethan White, left guard. It is announced. Kingsley Aguaken gets the center job. Stuart Reese, right guard. Gene Galantz at right tackle, Kamori Gamble at tight end, running back Damian Pierce or Malik Davis, quarterback Henry Jones, wide receiver. Here's the three receivers, Will Copeland, Whittemore, shorter. You know, maybe I guess the only thing here we might uh, take away from this, Aguaken wins the center job. So we kind of knew that was trending that way. It is official in the depth chart now uh, on the unofficial <laughs> depth chart uh, that uh, – Aguaken there at center. Uh, I did see a lot of people notice, you know, Josh Braun, the backup. Look, I don't know what else to tell you. John Hefesy told us he was going to be the backup at both guard positions there. So that does, of course, leave Gene DeLance there at right tackle. Nothing more really to say there, Will. I mean, we, we've kind of hit on that all season, all off season. Uh, that was more than likely going to be the scenario here, that Gene DeLance would still be the right tackle for the Gators when they line up game one. Uh, but my biggest takeaways, Will, is pretty much Aguaken at center, taking that job, and Trent Whittemore there at that third wide receiver spot. Yeah, I mean, Whittemore's a guy I think we've both sort of identified over the offseason that we think is going to be pretty good. That, you know, when he had playing time last year, I think he played in six total games. He was targeted 12 times, had 10 catches, um, you know, and was able to turn those into explosives when he was when he was given a chance as well. Obviously had some injuries last year, but now comes back and, and is a – is, you know, really, it looked like he had the opportunity to be a difference maker. We were sort of wondering last year, early in the season, why they kept sort of switching their sets of wide receivers. But in some, in, in no large part, I think that's because Whittemore was probably showing in practice what we saw in the games. The thing, uh, the offensive line, I mean, it's we've we've known this for a while, right, that this was going to be the five, um, that, that Braun might have an opportunity to find his way in there at guard, but that still meant that Delance was a right tackle. So nobody was really going to be happy with that, but that's just sort of the way it is. And, and, you know, you and I have sort of talked about about the pluses and minuses of him over there at right tackle as well. The thing that struck me about the depth chart on offense is there's no mention of Lorenzo Lingard or Demarcus Bowman at running back. They got Naquan Wright as, yeah. as third, and then they got Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. So the two guys we've been most excited about and talking about and all that stuff all offseason long aren't in the three deep when it comes to the running back position. And, you know, whether this really means something or not. That, I'm really not surprised by that, though. I mean, I, I guess I am a little bit. I kind of uh, you, you're not exactly feeding the beast when you when you leave those guys off because those are the guys I think um, a bunch of us want to see and want to see a lot of, especially in a game against FAU. Yeah, maybe maybe what we should have been surprised by, as in it should have maybe been Naquan Wright or Lorenzo Lingard or Demarcus Bowman. Maybe we get the 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 oars in there, the uh, the famous oars for the. Uh, that we see on the depth chart throughout the years of uh, Dan Mullen putting these uh, depth charts out. So, all right, here we go. Defensive side of the ball. Defensive end, Zachary Carter. Nose tackle, Antonio Valentino. Defensive tackle, Jaquan Newkirk. Buck, Britton Cox, or Jeremiah Moon. 
linebacker Ventrell Miller, linebacker Amari Bernie, cornerback Kyrie Elam, cornerback Avery Helm, strong safety Trey Dean, free safety Rashad Torrent, star position Travis Johnson. We'll take away from there Cox or Moon. We know uh, Cox, you know, nursing the foot injury, but he he could play Saturday if they want him to. I mean, <laughs> there's no injury. Uh, there, you know, there's really no sense in playing him a whole lot versus FAU. I think you put him out there, get his feet wet. Uh, Jeremiah Moon's had a really good fall camp, but he's got to stay healthy as well. Injury concern, you know, career-wise for him uh, there. I know a lot of people taken aback by Mari Bernie there at, at linebacker. Look, he's been on the squad. This depth chart, as I said, to me, doesn't mean a whole lot. I guarantee you Mamou Diabate is going to play a lot of snaps and probably more snaps there uh, than Amari Bernie. Uh, so, you know, just take that for what it's worth. But, like I said, the thing I think you can glean from this, Avery Helm there at that second cornerback spot. We know the battle that was going on between him and Jason Marshall for that second cornerback spot. Elijah Blades is in that there uh, in, in that um, rotation as well. Uh, but Avery Helm, you know, if this depth chart's going to be any indication, will be that second starting uh, cornerback spot. And yeah, no, there was some question, but I think we we, we kind of knew more than likely Travis Johnson was going to have that star position. Yeah, I guess if I'm looking at the interesting stuff here, I would say obviously the Abate um, being in the second in the second pack is something that people are going to pay attention to. Um, I also think you know Human Milan being behind Zach Carter there at, at defensive end yeah. is something I take a look at, and then Jadarius Perkins, the backup to the star, right? I mean, we were sort of wondering as the transfer, where is he going to play coming in? I think you know is he going to be the guy who steps in for Trevez Johnson if Johnson can't get the job done, and then what kind of skills does Perkins have because you know. The, he's, he's a pretty big dude, but he's not really all that heavy. Like, he's tall, but he's not necessarily heavy. And is he going to be able to support the run the way Trevez Johnson is going to have to at that star position? So there's some interesting pieces here. Again, I don't think there's anything too surprising, but I, I think just sort of on the offensive side where, where I said, you know, we're looking for those running backs. I think on the defensive side, there are some guys, you know, Diabate, Hopper, and Marshall that we're really excited to see on the defensive side of the ball. I'm sure all these guys are going to get plenty of snaps on Saturday, and that's one of the reasons why you start with FAU. Right. Uh, Mullen was uh, asked about Avery Helm today winning the starting job in his first, uh, you know, uh, season press conference. Uh, of course, I didn't have time for all, you know, to put the sound bites in this episode. Mondays are going to be very difficult to get that done. Hopefully I can get all the coaches and the players throughout the week uh, into an episode like we did throughout fall camp. But Mondays are going to be very tough to get that done. But if I can tell you what was said, Mullen was asked about Avery Helm winning the starting job. He goes, and look, this kind of speaks to the depth chart. I guess that's today's depth chart. It changes every day. <laughs> so Mullen extending the thought there with the uh, press, uh, with the depth chart. He goes, I thought he's done a good job in camp of putting himself in position. He was coming off in an injury when it got here that set him back, but he's grown and matured and put himself in position to play tremendous physical talents and has the maturity to start playing within the scheme beyond just the physical traits. That was Mullen on Avery Helm. Uh, kind of going there uh, as well. Jalen Lee was questionable, is going to be questionable for the game. Did say Daquan Newkirk is good to go. Uh, and he's battling, been battling a groin injury a little uh, the last you know week or so, maybe two weeks there uh, in, in fall camp. But Daquan Newkirk will be good to go there for the Gators at the defensive tackle position. Before we get into some further news, let's finish it off with special teams. Or is there for a place kicker and kickoff uh, kicker, uh, Chris Howard, Jace Chrisman, punter Jeremy Crawshaw, no uh, – no, no surprise there. 
kick returner Jacob Copeland or Jamarcus Weston. We think, you know, we've heard a, a good bit there about Jamarcus Weston uh, being in there in that kick return spot. But then, Will, it caught a lot of people's eyes there. Kyer Elam listed as the punt returner. You know, I don't think he's going to be back there returning punts every time there's a punt to be caught back there. I've, I put this as a trust, you know, if, if we will read into the depth chart, I'm not even sure we read into much, even, even this little part of it. But if we do, I think it's a trust factor there for Kyrie. I don't think he's going to be back there often uh, too much if the, if a return is likely, but I think if it's in deep, deep in your own territory, um, of, uh, where, and where a punt return is less likely, you put him back there. I think Mullen trusts him not to make you know some kind of dumb move, dumb mistake, catch the ball, put the offense on the field. And that's why I think Kyrie Elam's kind of just listed there. But I, I expect more of a playmaker. I know it d- definitely is surprising. We d- we don't see Finley Graham listed anywhere uh, as far as that re- those return specialists go. But uh, Jamarcus Weston did like seeing his name there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think Kyrie Elam is an interesting pick just because you would figure that if you're going to get somebody who secures the ball, you would hope that guy comes from the offensive side, right? You'd hope it'd be a receiver who's the guy who's got the surest hands on the team. And if Elam's got the surest hands on the team, I think that says something about how good he is, but also says something about your receivers as well. Well, sure. But, I mean, again, I, I think – the interesting thing about Mullen's tenure at Florida has been that he's not been interested in explosive plays on special teams. He's yeah. been interested in making sure that they make the the consistent and they make the non-spectacular play. So Freddie Swain was back there for a couple of years catching punts. Kadarius Tony was the guy doing it last year. Um, obviously, Tony, I think, had more explosiveness when it came to punt returns than Swain did. At the same time, they were tasked with fair catching a large portion of the of the time. Don't get a penalty. Put the offense in a position to succeed, and that's kind of what's going to happen, I'm sure, if Elam's back there as well. And, and there's a skill, right, to understanding how quickly is the opposition coming and knowing when to call the fair catch and being able to catch with traffic around you and all those sorts of things. But and we uh, thought Nebraska messed that up this past weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, there were a lot of things Nebraska messed up this weekend. That was that, that was one of them. But uh, yeah, and then like you mentioned, Weston uh, on kickoffs. It's good to start see some, to start seeing some new blood. Come into yeah. some of these different things, right? That that's kind of how you hope people start to earn their way into the team. It's one of the reasons why, like you said, it, it'd be nice to see Fenley Graham here on this list. But you know, Weston is is listed in the two deep when it comes to wide receiver, a backup to Justin Shorter. You suspect that they're going to do kind of the same thing they did last year, where they had the first unit, and then after a couple of drives, they'll rotate in the second unit of wide receivers. So Weston's going to get an opportunity there, but he's going to be able to build into that if he's able to succeed as a kick returner. A big part of that will be calling fair catches because you can do that in kick returns too and doing that wisely. But you know, if he shows that he's that he's explosive with the ball in his hands as a kick returner, then all of a sudden you got to get him on the field as a wide receiver. That's really how you make your way onto the field. At least it used to be how you made your way onto the field was you got on special teams, you made a bunch of plays and everybody said, Hmm, like maybe we should get him the ball more often, or maybe we should get him on the field more often. And that's sort of how you, how you earned your way onto the field back in the urban Meyer days. And sure would be nice to have, it'll be interesting to see who they have on the outside when it comes to rushing the kicker and rushing the punter and whether some of these guys sort of the up and comers and the depth and the guys who were, who spent last year just getting ready because they didn't play very much. Now I've had an off season to, to really get stronger and can they make a big difference on special teams because of that level of depth? 
Yeah, so we'll go back to defense for a second, Will, and Todd, Todd Grantham just confirmed it. So I think uh, we, we go to defensive tackle depth there. We, we were talking about Newkirk as well. We have to throw in Tyrone Truesdale. Gators get a grad transfer from Auburn. Two defensive linemen from Auburn now. So he And he's – look, he has started the last two seasons uh, at, at defensive tackle there for Auburn. He's played in 44 career games with 67 total tackles, 30 of them solo. Total nine tackles for loss, 25 for 25 yards, three sacks for 15 yards. He recovered two fumbles. He earned 2021 preseason four-team All-SEC honors by Athlon and was named to the Reese's Bowl, Reese's Senior Bowl top 250. Mullen said they've been looking for Trues, at, looking at Truesdale for a while. Really needed to add to that spot thanks to class gaps in recruiting. And defensive Todd Grant, defensive coordinator Todd Grantham did say tonight, literally about. 20 minutes before we came live here, Truesdale will play Saturday. Instant impact player there uh, on the defensive line for the Gators. Their second transfer from Auburn. This one, a grad transfer, so that's why he's immediately eligible, ready to go play there for the Gators. Uh, part of the super senior wheel with uh, Rick Wells and Stuart Reese there. So Florida has 88 players on scholarship, but they're able to fit you know, more in because of the COVID rules. Uh, and how they uh, disperse scholarships right now. So Florida three over, but you get to do this now with a grad transfer. So Truesdale will be on the field Saturday. Will we get the news <laughs> one day? And we already and, and at the end of the day, we get that he's going to be on the field on, uh, for the Gators. So instant impact as far as just getting on the field, but it's going to take some time to get acclimated inside this defense. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Except for if you if you listen to Daquan Newkirk, the difference between Grantham's defense and the oh, defense yeah. he was he was participating in at Auburn is really relatively minimal, at least in the defensive tackle spot. And you got to figure that Newkirk's been talking to Truesdale in terms of what what benefits right. there are to come to Florida and those sorts of things as well. I'm sure those guys are tight and and have been having multiple conversations. Otherwise, he probably doesn't come to Florida. You know, you, you factor all that stuff in, and really defensive tackle depth has been one of my concerns even after the addition of Valentino and after the addition of Newkirk. And so bringing in Truesdale is just more depth, and I mean certainly high-quality depth in this yeah. You know, in this case with somebody who's who's started a ton of Power 5 games and, and, has, and has really contributed. You know, it does make you wonder about the uh, about the recruits and sort of the guys who are behind those four when you factor in Gravon Dexter – as the fourth guy, but four guys at defensive tackle that you can rotate in means that you're not going to have situations where you're just getting completely overpowered. And even if you suffer an injury, you can probably overcome it. And that was always my concern is, you know, Will Muschamp used to call the SEC a line of scrimmage league. Unfortunately, that was the only thing he, he actually thought when it came to offense or defense really was winning the line of scrimmage. And there's more to the game than that, obviously, but that's where it all starts. It really starts there with Grantham's defense, starts with the defensive tackle. And so adding another defensive tackle is a big deal, especially if he's going to be able to come in, play right away and contribute. I mean, you know, I'm not really concerned whether he plays a whole lot against FAU. I'm concerned about whether he plays against Alabama, yeah. because at some point you're going to have your guys needing a blow at some point. You know, Alabama comes down and scores, has a long drive. You know, Florida comes out, goes three and out. And the defense is back on the field. You're, you need to be able to rotate people in and not have a giant drop-off. Otherwise, that's when you start to get exposed when you're playing these top, top-tier teams. And so adding a, adding a significant talent piece there at defensive tackle, I think, is a big deal. Just because, you know, a 12-game schedule, it's hot in Florida, it's the SEC, people get injured, and this gives them the depth to be able to maybe weather an injury at some point along the season. Wesley McGriff, Daquan Newkirk, 
and Truesdale. Hey, they were all playing for they were all playing or coaching for Auburn last year. So you know, a heavy Auburn influence on this Gator defense for uh, for 2021. So, uh, you know, uh, that, that staff no longer together, of course, if Gus Malzahn gets fired. But Auburn's defense, for the most part, the last few years have been pretty nasty, pretty nasty up front uh, as, as well. When you look at who they have up there uh, and what they've been able to produce the last few years. So let's get into a little bit more, of course, what Dan Mullen had to say before we move on. Uh, Probably should have hit this when we were talking about offense, but you know he was asked how important how important it is to get Lingard and Bowman in there to get some experience. Mullen says that would be great, but have to see how the game plays out. So no, <laughs> no, not the boring answer a lot of people want to hear. Uh, and he goes, "Who decides when guys go in at running back?" As he was asked that, and he goes, "That's Greg Knox. He rolls them through." Mullen is comfortable with it. He says they have packages they want certain guys in for, but Knox rolls them through otherwise. Certain situations, they'll get certain guys in there. And then was asked about Finley Graham as returner, said he's doing a good job, and they'll see, quote, I don't look too much into the depth chart. I know what our plan is. I'm probably not going to share it with you too much before the game. So that lets you know <laughs> how much thought, Will, goes into this depth chart. It's fun fodder. I don't go too far into it. Uh, like as I said, a lot of players that I think uh, – who probably aren't listed or listed second team, I think will end up playing more than some of the guys that were listed as starters uh, when you go that when you look at it that way. So there we go. That's kind of a little summary there of what Mullen had to say in regards to some of the stuff that we saw on the depth chart today. Will, popular topic here. I think we have to get into it because it does affect the Gators' schedule in some ways. The 24-7 sports team talent composite there. Uh, very popular topic there when it comes out for 24-7 sports. The Gators come in and stay at 7th. It's the same they were last year. And, well, when you look at it, they play number one, they play number two, and they play number five. That's the, the overall when you say, hey, the Gators have the 7th ranked uh, talent composite. You say, you know what, that's very good. That's very good. You're in the top ten. But then you have three teams that you're going to play on your schedule this year in number one, Georgia, number two, Alabama, number five, LSU. Look, the, the gap is very, very small between LSU and Florida there from five to seven. Georgia's score is the highest score since 2015 for the 24-7 sports team talent composite. Well, that's, uh, you know, we, we discussed the schedule just a little bit last week in, in, in regards to um, the FPI and all that kind of stuff. But this is just purely based on uh, the talent that 24-7 Sports thinks the roster has all throughout your recruiting and the transfers you have brought in. Yeah, so I mean, Florida being at seventh two years in a row now, they were at seventh last year, and and certainly we saw what the team could do. Its highs were really high, but had some lows that weren't all that weren't all that uh, that were pretty low as well, right? So I think you can see um, you can see some some gaps even with teams that are really good that have that level of talent. I think we'll see whether they can paper over those gaps this year with I think more depth. But but less experience. Whereas last year's probably had, last year's team had less depth, but more experience. Um, the bigger thing I think is Georgia at number one. There aren't any excuses anymore. I know we all heard about it last year that Stetson Bennett was a quarterback, and then then they knocked him out and had Mathis in there, and he was hitting the hitting the ball boy while he's warming up on the sideline. And you, you know, hey, Mathis that uh, David Pollitt picked to win the Heisman. 
Yeah, well, you know, so if, if we'd have had JT Daniels, we would have won. Well, this year we get to see, right? You've got JT Daniels. You've got the most talent in the country. You should beat Florida. You should beat Alabama when you have the opportunity, and we'll see whether Georgia can do it. I, I think it's interesting this year. We sort of talked about it being a rebuilding year for Florida. I still think that's true. I think there's going to be some growing pains as the year goes on. But at the same time, you know, can you imagine if Georgia goes out and loses by like two or three touchdowns to Clemson? How loud the voices are going to get, considering all the recruiting they've had, especially if they like. Or what if they gack it on like a Kirby, just horrible coaching decision that leads to them to lose the game? I mean, there, there is a lot. There is almost zero margin for error for Georgia, and I love it because they're already making excuses, man. Like you know, I <laughs> I've engaged with a couple of Georgia fans this week, and you know, you talk to them and say, hey, it's it's the most talented team. It's the most talented team in the country. And they're like, well, the injury bug's already biting us pretty hard and all that sort of stuff, man. No excuses at this point. You're the number one team in the country. But when it comes to Florida, I, I, you know, this is what you want, right? I mean, you get to play one, two, and five. At the end of the day, if you win those games, you deserve to be playing for a championship. In fact, if you win two of those three, you, you probably go. deserve to be playing for a championship. And, and that's what you want, right? That's why you come to play in the SEC. It's why you want to be part of the SEC is that there's those games every year that determine the team that's most that's really the best in the country. I think even years where the SEC hasn't won the playoff, you would probably say the best team was still in the SEC. And that's why it's so much fun, right? I mean, I don't want to play I don't want to be Cincinnati who doesn't play anybody and then gets a bowl game against Georgia and you got to wonder whether Georgia even wants to be there when you're sort of metricing whether you're any good. I love the fact that we know that week 3 Alabama is definitely going to want to be in the swamp and Florida is definitely going to want to beat Alabama. And those sorts of games determine who wins the championship. And it's the best part about being in this conference, Ben. Absolutely. Absolutely. All it does for me, you know, it, it sets a baseline of expectations for, for, for some out there. You know, that's kind of what this team talent composite does. Uh, whether you agree with the recruiting rankings or not, well, you know, that a lot of the, a lot of the temperature from the fan base comes from that. And as you said, Will, if Georgia doesn't win it again this year, then you can best bet, hey, they got the number one roster in the country by a you know, reputable recruiting source. And if they don't win, that temperature just gets you know turned up just a little bit more. I think, you know, Kirby Smart think not getting fired or anything like that. But you've got to, you know, the, the voices, as you said, the screaming has to be a little louder. So, of course, they lose to Clemson and, you know, a lot of them will fall back. Well, the season's not over with. We still, uh, you know, this could be our only loss of the season and then go on to make the playoff. But, you know, this is a, this is a game they're supposed to win. If you're the number one, talent and you have another opportunity on a big stage to show up i think that's where you get it from but yeah florida face number one number two number five let you know how tough the schedule is uh there for the gators but as will said you wouldn't have it any other way we know it's tough that's why we like it so much there we get to watch these big high profile games week in and week out well week in and week out you can also bet on these games and you can do it at my bookie where winning season returns at mybookie.ag. it's time to get in on the action First-time players can get started by doubling your first deposit, giving you the firepower to add excitement to the games you love. College football odds boost, NFL lock of the season, and over $500,000 in contest prizes live on site to make this winning season your best ever with MyBookie. An historic 18-week NFL schedule is here, offering more action than ever before. You need a sportsbook casino that's reliable, and you won't find a better place to play than MyBookie. I know you're going to bet this season, so the smart thing is to do is to sign up with MyBookie and use promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit matched dollar for dollar. That's extra money credited to your account instantly. 
just for using promo code Gators and making your first deposit. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Well, let's get to the fun. Fun part here. Over-unders, season predictions, always fun to go back and look at at the end of the year. Always fun to just go through and, uh, you know, chat back and forth about some of these predictions here that we throw out uh, on here on Gators Breakdown every preseason. We've done this, I think, Will, for three or four preseasons now, or the week of the game. We kept the first game going in, so a lot of fun here when we get to this. And, uh, you know, we just we, – we always have a little fun and, and rub each other about some of the predictions we go – we get right and wrong. Yeah, put it this way. We've cost some people quite a bit of money if they if they bet chalk with either one of us over the over the course of the last three or four years. But uh, no, nah, it's it's always fun, right? I mean, that's one of the things is you try to set these numbers for the over unders to where it's actually a challenge to pick and and you got to really sort of decide what units you're going all in on and what units you're 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 going to be a little bit soft on. And last year, I think we were both sort of dubious about Kyle Trask's ability to turn into who he turned into, but much more optimistic about the defense than what was, uh, what ended up being appropriate for that defense. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I, all, all predictions are worth exactly what you paid for it. I suppose is the uh, disclaimer we should put on this one. <laughs> so as Will said, don't go to my bookie and bet uh, with, with what Will and I are giving you here. Um, Just bet the opposite. You'll make more money that way. <laughs> Here we go. And we we're going to do this with 13 games. That's about pretty much what we know, you know, Florida, you know, 12 games, regular season, and we'll throw the bowl game in there as well. So here we go, starting with Emory Jones and 30 touchdowns. Will taking the over here almost went under, but not because I don't think he does, that I don't think Emory Jones has the capability. You know, I, I think he is the quarterback taking the majority of the snaps this year. But I do think he splits reps uh, with Richardson uh, and some chances get taken away. I, I, I don't you know, I don't think he plays well in the blowout games. I think Mullen will play AR, get his experience there, play some of the other young quarterbacks more a bit too. Probably the biggest aspect for me, though, you know, is uh, having some doubt in splitting carries with another quarterback and five running backs as well. I think Florida's pretty deep in the run game uh, there to take some of these carries and split them uh, for, for Emory in some of the uh, goal line running situations. Really tough. Uh, but, you know, I can easily see 20 passing and 10 rushing to get to this point. Add one more somewhere along the way. Emory Jones gets over 30. I mean, look, Felipe Franks had 31 in 2018. Nick Fitzgerald, Nick Fitzgerald had 29 in 2017 under Mullen. Uh, that was with him getting injured the last game of the season and missing the bowl game. So, you know, those two players alone counting for that many. Emory being a better fit for Mullen, groomed for this season, puts that over for me. Emory Jones over 30 touchdowns. And he stole my firepower. I had the Felipe Franks had 31 touchdowns in 2018 <laughs> as, the, as, the, as the first bullet point. I, I think the other bullet point is that uh, – you know, from the standpoint of Mullen has not, you know, I know we'll see some of Anthony Richardson, but when he's felt like he need, like his starter was not doing what he needed them to do or that his starter needed more seasoning, he's left them in there, even in games that have been over. I mean, we saw it with Franks in, in 18, and we saw it with, with Trask in 19 and 20 that, you know, when he felt like Kyle Trask needed to get a few things figured out, especially in 2019, 
he didn't bring in Emory Jones to get a lot of experience there late in games, even when they were way ahead by against Vanderbilt and those sorts of things. So I do think Emory Jones is going to play a lot. I think the only re- only way he ends up under 30 is if he gets digged up, right? If he gets digged up, if he misses a couple of games, maybe that ends up being the way the way we things work out. But No, we can't, other than the fact that he's probably going to run the ball more than yeah. Franks did in 18 and 19, and, and certainly he's going to run the ball way more than Trask did in, in 19 and 20. And so, you know, that is something that is – it's the risk here, right? I think you take it over just because of Mullen's history on offense and what Jones can do both through the air and on the ground. But that on the ground comes with at risk in terms of being able to, you know, and that he's going to take some hits. Well, I think something that contributed to it too for Felipe Franks in 2018, what what did he have? He had was it five touchdown passes in the opener versus Charleston Southern in 2018, and you could just tell Mullen wanted to you know get his feet wet and get him into a rhythm and and, and get some confidence up in passing the ball. We we very well could see that you know versus FAU on Saturday too, where hey look, this is an overmatched opponent. We want to see Emory Jones throw the ball. We want to see him throw on third and six. We want to see him throw on first and ten and throw a twelve yard route over the middle. You know, those are things I think we could see and that could lend itself to a very heavy passing number, like much like Felipe Frank's opening in twenty eighteen where you pass for five, six touchdowns in the opening game of the season. Yeah, the other thing is, is I do think that they're gonna that in 2018 everybody knew that was a year where Florida was trying to build to something, but was not where they were trying. They were going to crescendo to a championship level. This year, if you get if you have a good start, you know you lose close to Alabama, or if you even beat Alabama, all of a sudden the expectations for the season get ramped up quite a bit. And and at that point, I do think then that you start opening things up that you start making sure that when you hit that LSU game and when you hit that uh, that Georgia game that you've got a quarterback who's completely comfortable with the entire offense that you know what he can and can't do by the time you get there so I think there's a scenario where early on in the year some success maybe makes them take some chances in those games against Kentucky games against Tennessee that otherwise maybe you button it up because you want to sort of save a few things for those guys but um you know, again, I, I think this is one of those things where Jones is going to play a lot. He's going to get the ball. You know, if you look at that 2018 year, whenever Florida had the ball inside the three yard line, it was a quarterback. It was a quarterback keeper. Frank's just running right up the middle, and it was really successful. And one of the reasons it was successful was just that one extra blocker makes such a huge difference there. And and I think they'll take advantage of that enough to get Emory over 30 TDs. All right. Well, so we'll extend this thought because we know AR is going to get some playing time as well. We both have Emory over 30. Does the quarterback position have over over under 40 touchdowns? So does that mean we think Anthony Richardson gets up to nine touchdowns this year if we got Emory going over 30? I'm going over. I think he does. I think he these blowout games we're talking about, I think AR you know, gets into there. I think he can also be the guy in some of the short yardage carries as well, throw for a couple as well. This was going to be close. Uh, if Emory's taking all, all the snaps, if you're splitting – between running backs as well. But I do think we'll look at – put it this way, if this is the case, we also could be looking at this offense humming just a bit if you have these two guys going for over 40 touchdowns from the quarterback position. Yeah, I have the under on this one. Um, there were 51 touchdowns last season for Kyle Trask in, in what was obviously a fantastic year. Um, many of those are going to go to running backs in 2021. There were only six touchdowns by the running backs in 2020, and for the most part, those went to Damian Pierce. I think – as they transition to a more run centric game plan that it won't just be 
you know, either Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson going up the middle. In fact, I think as the season moves along, they'll probably protect those guys a little bit. And when they get into short yardage situations, especially first and second down, the expectation won't be, oh, we're going to we're going to ram it in with Emory Jones. It'll be we're going to ram it in with Damian Pierce or we're going to ram it in with one of those other guys back there at the backfield. I think they're going to split a bunch of carries. You don't have to worry necessarily about health because if one running back goes down, you've got three others who can step in or four others who can step in. And so um, that, I think, is where this started. And and then you get late in the game. If Anthony Richardson's in and Florida's up by three or four touchdowns and you get down to the one or two yard line. Are you really going to call a quarterback keeper? And expose your quarterback to that or do you just try to run it with your running back and and really try to give your offensive line some confidence because yeah. you know this isn't going to be last year's team where when push comes to shove fourth and three from the three yard line you knew florida was throwing the ball last year and this year they're going to want to be able to prove that they can run the ball in that situation and i think you only do that by working on it and so i suspect that especially early in the year when games are in hand that anthony richardson might throw a little bit going up and down the field but when they get into the red zone that's going to be a time to to break out the running backs and see what they can do speaking of those running backs wait a minute, there's our first difference there so 40 touchdowns from the quarterback position i went over will went under there so there we go. First difference. Everybody, YouTube, uh, or if you're listening to it and want to throw it on social media, throw your comments out there as well. What do you think? Uh, you th- what, what do you think uh, could be over or under for some of these stats that we're throwing out there? Will, let's continue it. You mentioned running backs. Let's go to the running back position. Any Florida running back over or under 750 yards. I'm going under here. You're splitting carries between five backs and two quarterbacks. I think that get a whole lot of carries going into that. So I think the distribution will spread out enough to keep any running back from attaining 750 yards this season. I fully expect Florida to run the ball more, but not enough for one back to get this yardage. Where I hope I'm wrong with this one, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I hope so if some running back gets this, or if it's just split, and a lot of guys have 600 yards. You know that would that would be that would be awesome for for these running backs. We're gonna have to see more explosive runs, and until I see more explosive runs, well, I I I can't hit that 750 mark for any running back. Do I think a couple of them have the potential to do that? Yeah, to hit that explosive run, but I got to see this offensive line help them out just a bit more. For Florida, a running back with seven ball carriers here, five backs and two quarterbacks to get to 750 yards. Yeah, it's interesting. This one, this one's a good one. If you look at two years ago, LaMichael P. Ryan, P. Ryan had 676 yards, but Damian Pierce had 305, averaged 5.6 yards per carry. Last year, that dropped significantly. He only rushed for 500 yards or 503 yards with a 4.7 yards per carry average. If he can get that back up to 5.6, over those 106 carries, he's going to come awfully close. So I'm actually going to take the over. I think there's going to be some opportunities. If, if you think about last year, in running situations, when the defense knew Florida was going to try to run the ball, Trask was of zero consequence to the defense. They paid zero attention to him. This year, they're going to have to pay attention to Emory Jones. In fact, you know, you said any running back 750 yards does Emory Jones count when it comes to running the ball? Because I think he might be over 750 yards. All right, let's make a minute. Too. We'll make it right here live. Any ball carrier. Quarterback so running back, 750 yards. Then I am definitely taking the over because Emory Jones averaged almost six yards a carry over his entire career. I think he's going to get at least 100, 150 carries, and he's going to break a couple of big ones. And I wouldn't be surprised if Florida has two guys over 750. I think this is one where it'll be close for both of them, but I I, I think this is one where the way they're going to run the offense, you know, we've seen Emory Jones turn a – 
you know, turn a three yard run into a seven yard run and a seven yard run into a 12 yard run just when everybody knew he was running. But once he's really a threat to throw the ball, if they can get the defense to play man to man and all of them turn their backs on him and all of a sudden he has an open field and the field opens up over the middle, he's going to get a couple of big ones. And all he needs is one game where he goes for like 120 and then, you know, four or five games where he gets 45, 50 yards and he's going to be coming pretty close. Okay, with that amendment, I'll just just for the sake of it, I'll still stick with under. I'll st- so we can we can have a little bit of difference. There. I, I, and I'm still not sure. I'm, I'm not even going just for the difference. I'm still not sure anybody gets that 750 mark just because there's so many ball carriers there uh, for the Gators. But you you're right, Emory there being the starting quarterback probably has the best shot now looking at it looking now looking at it that he could get the 750 yard mark. All right, here we go. As we went with any running back 750 yards, we now move to the pass catchers and any wide receiver over under 45 catches. I'm going to go under here as well. Last year, Tony blew away the previous wide receiver numbers by catching 70 balls last season in a pass-happy offense. Van Jefferson caught 49 balls in 2019 uh, and led the way for the team that season. In 2018, no wide receiver had more than Jefferson's 35 catches. I, I don't think there's a wide receiver for this year's team that separates from the rest, Will, uh, and it's more of a group effort again and splitting catches. And that's a theme for me in this offense, splitting. You know, splitting carries, now splitting catches. I do think Copeland leads the way for a high 30, low 40 range, but doesn't get to 45. Wow, you and I have very different ideas of this offense this year because I'm going over – I think it's probably going to be Trent Whittemore. I think Whittemore's a big target. I think they're going to put him in the slot. I think they're going to treat him a lot like they treated Kyle Pitts last year in terms of being able to split him out. And on and he's not going to be as good as Kyle Pitts, obviously, but when you put him out there and you get little hitches for first downs, you got a guy who can uh, who can take advantage of one-on-one coverage. He showed that last year. He had 10 catches and only 12 targets. So he was getting open when he was out there, and then Trask was able to find him. I think one of Kyle Trask's strengths was reading the defense and getting it to the right guy and ha- and making sure that he threw in into one-on-one coverage most of the time until the end of the year when he just sort of decided he was going to throw it to Tony or Pitts on every play. But um, but early on in the year, and especially in 2019, one of his strengths was spreading the ball throughout the field. Mullins even said that that's not necessarily what he's going to be teaching Emory Jones, is that sometimes the right play will be one read and out, right? And I think especially on those third and short type plays or third and four, third and five type plays, the read is going to be the slot receiver. And if Whittemore's the slot receiver and he's open, I think he's going to get some of those balls. And and he's the guy I think has an opportunity. Maybe he doesn't necessarily average 18 or 19 yards a catch like Copeland did last year. But if he can average 13, but he can be the guy who, who converts the third downs into first downs in critical instances, he's going to become the security blanket for Emory Jones and I think has an opportunity to hit that 45 mark. I think well, one thing I do want to say here, I don't think anybody doesn't have the capability. I just think there's a, I, I just think there's a whole lot of separation uh, when you, when I look at the offense and who they put out there on the field to it with a more like that. We'll get into him later. Will for uh, a superlative of mine too. So I'm i uh, uh, I'm a big, big fan of that uh, pick for you. Here we go. Now we'll go offense. This one's tough. Will we set the offense 30. When I went back and forth with this, you know, you and I had a conversation with this one. For people who I don't think, for people out there who think I don't do any research, I guess, but you know, we'll, 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 leave, we'll leave that out there. Uh, 35 points per game for this offense. And, you know, it's on the surface, it seems like, yeah, but you look at it, 
Uh, let's go back to 2018, Dan Mullen's first season. Right on the dot, 35 points per game. That's what we're hitting this over-under at for 2021. To the surprise, you know, I think a lot of people forget this, Florida's points per game actually dropped in 2019, 33.2. Schedule had a lot to do with that, uh, as we know. As we said, 2018, you had the Charleston Southerns of the world that you opened up with uh, and went stat happy. 2019, it did drop to 33.2. And then last year, 2020, the Gators averaged 39.8 points per game, basically 40 points a game for this offense last year. So we're setting the over-under at 35 points per game. Well, I'm still – I'm going to let you go first. I'm still kind of deciding. But I already know your answer, so it's not really, you know, uh, it's not really leaning – it's making me lean away or two. Uh, but uh, I'm still kind of torn on for 35 points per game over under. We'll let you go first on this one. Well, I might have changed it because I thought about it again since, we, since we've been talking about it behind <laughs> the scenes. So, it, so I went back and I looked at Mullen's offenses, and he had t- basically – I'm going to round these numbers, but at Mississippi State, 26 points a game, 29 points a game, 25, 30, 28. Then Dak Prescott took over, 37, 34. Then Fitzgerald takes over. It goes down to 30 and 32, and then 35 – um, his first year at Florida, 33 his second year. And then Trask has an unbelievable year and he gets almost a 40, right? And so what I think that says is that the value of an elite quarterback in his system seems to be six to seven points per game. So last year's squad scored almost 40. And so if you don't think Emory Jones is going to be elite, then you can subtract probably five or six points from that and you're below 35. So that's really the question is the question is, is Emory Jones going to be somebody that we look at at the end of the year and go, that guy was elite. I don't think he's going to quite get to elite. So I'm going to take under when it comes to the offense at 35 points per game. I think, you know, you can pencil him in for 32, 33, 34 but I think getting over 35 really means you're going to have, to some, have some special quarterback play, and I just don't know whether Emory Jones is going to be able to give that to the, to the Gators this year. Yeah, and even even if I'll still go back to the point where you know the running offense may slow it down just a little bit. I don't I don't know if he throws it as much as Dak Prescott. I know we had a whole episode about that uh, sometime earlier in the summer too about how the you know the pass distribution, run distribution, uh, and, and all that. Well, I think I'll go with you there. I'll, I'm I'm at that 33, 34 range um, as well. You know, 40 points a game last year. I, I don't think they get anywhere near that. Um, what could get them at that 35 range too is you know, the FAUs, the Samfords, USFs of the world, Vanderbilts of the world. That could, you know, get them up there at, at that 35 range. If you go out there and score 60 points in those games, you, you go, go out there and score 50, 60 points in those games, that skews it a bit. Now, maybe we should, maybe next year we should do a separate over under for SEC play. <laughs> and that, then that'd be really, really difficult when you get into that. But we're doing, we are going all 13 games here for the Gators. So those cupcakes do play in, play a factor here. But I do think, you know, more time consuming drives. I think the offense can be explosive, but I do think that holds the point total down. And I got the Gators right there, uh, like Will does 33, 34 points going under the 35 points per game here. Ooh, Will, here we go. Defense, defense, defense. And uh, this is one that's all over the place here. 20.5. We'll set the over under at 20.5 points per game for this defense. A little bit of recent history. 2018, 20 points per game the defense gave up. 2019, 15 and a half points per game given up. 2020, basically doubled that, Will. 30.8 in 2020. 
You went from 15.5 to 30.8. Whew. I mean, that's uh, unreal. Of course, all SEC schedule played a part in that a little bit too. Going back to basically, you know, versus playing the cupcakes, asking if this defense can be better than it was in 2018 when they gave up 20 points per game. I'm going over here. I think they are better, but I think they're going to hover around that 21, 22, 23 points per game. It's an offensive game now, Will. I don't think we'll see the explosion we saw last year. I do think there's improvement on this defense at the same time. Um, But uh, get the cupcakes to help the average, but I think there will be some up and downs throughout the season uh, to make this go over. This is a defense that I think will be better in spots and, and get stops when they really need to but they'll put themselves in those tough spots where they have to make those plays is how I see it coming out, Will. But they'll get the big sack. They'll get the big turnover while giving up some points. Yeah, I mean, so, so I think there's a couple things here. One is that you're not really at 30.8 because that in, that includes the the 55 to Oklahoma. It also yeah. includes, which was sort of a, an exhibition game, to be honest. And then the other thing that it includes is the addition of Texas A&M and then Old Miss on the schedule as well. And, and Florida doesn't have to play either of those teams this year. I think that the um, – so Sanford, FAU, and USF are going to help when it comes to the defensive performance. I mean, you know, even if they only give up 10 points per game to those three, it's still going to sort of set a baseline that drags the overall average down. Um, and the 2018 team, like you said, gave up 20 points, but it really wasn't very good. I mean, I looked at some underlying yeah. stats – on that 2018 team. And and you're like, Hmm, how did they do that? It was kind of smoke and mirrors. And, and that is sort of the story of a Grantham defense is that you tend to overperform against some of the teams that are um, less experienced a quarterback. And then when you get a more experienced quarterback in there who can take advantage of things, well, all of a sudden they've in, at least in history gotten exposed. But I do think that sort of, again, goes towards the defense being better this year from a points per game perspective, at least because the quarterbacks in the division, other than Daniels just really aren't all that good or they're unproven. I mean, you know, if you look at if you look at the Kentucky quarterback transferring in from Penn State, he's not he doesn't necessarily have a high pedigree. I don't know that he's going to be better than Joey Gatewood. You look at Vanderbilt, you're like, all right, I'm not sure that uh, um, that they're going to have anybody there at quarterback. South Carolina, you got you got Beamer's kid coming in, coaching that team, but they've got all their quarterbacks have basically left. And Tennessee, you got Josh. South Carolina, buddy, they are in some at least to start the season, they are in some trouble at quarterback. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, you got Josh Heupel there starting, starting a guy who couldn't hack it at Michigan, right? You got Milton yeah. starting there. So I, I think when you look at the SEC East, other than JT Daniels, there isn't anybody that you look at and go, that guy scares me against a Grantham defense, right? That if we can't get to the quarterback, he's just going to carve us up. Oh, that's a dual threat guy like Terry Wilson a couple of years ago, where all of a sudden he starts using his legs, the defensive backs start to get a little bit skittish, and then they're able to hit some deep throws. I don't necessarily see that this year with this year's schedule. I think you combine that with Samford, FAU, and USF. You wanted to set this at like 23 and a half, and I was like, I'm going to yeah. Vegas to bang that under. Um, 20 and a half is a little bit closer, but I'm going to take the under on that one. I, I, think, I think the defense is going... The other thing that I think is a a little bit maybe um maybe under under talked about here is that Grantham's probably gone no matter what happens this year right if the defense plays really really well then he's going to get a head job somewhere you would expect and if the defense is average or bad he's going to get kicked out it's it's sort of a weird thing usually when you're trying to hold on to your job 
you'll get ultra conservative. It'll go against your principles, things like that, just because you're worried, right, about about your job status. But in this case, I think his job status is pretty much this is one year, and then he's going to either greener pastures or not so green pastures. And I do wonder whether he'll then be truer to who he is and sort of just let things loose. And I think in that case, especially against some of these inferior opponents, you could see a scenario where Florida is really going to cause some havoc, cause some turnovers in a way that they weren't able to do last year. Awesome. Awesome there. So here we go, Will. This is, this is the fun one for you going sacks over under the number of sacks for the Gators. As a joke here, I'm going to go, I'm going to start that at 50 because you told me you were going over no matter what the number was. So (laughs) Uh, let's get into it for real 37 sacks over and under 37 sacks for the gators um and look it's uh 35 and 12 games last season 49 sacks two years ago in 2019 37 sacks in 2018 i'm going over again will just pretty much like you said this is just for whatever reason a number whatever we put it at they seem to hit it and they have no problem hitting it uh, their pressure up the middle would, you know, Gerv, Valentino, Newkirk, uh, pressure off the edges with Cox, Carter, Bogle, Chatfield, Yuma Milan. I think Florida is deep here of get, of guys they can get into the backfield. No matter how bad Todd Grantham's defense are, it's, it is still a staple. They were second in the SEC last year in sacks. Even with that future defense, I think the Gators, like I said, they, they, they come up in pressure situations uh, with some sacks. So I think over under 37 sacks, over. Over, over. Yeah, I, you could have set this at any number. I was taking the over. I'm pretty sure I've taken the under every year we've done this, and I get burned every year. And Grantham so proves me wrong every year. year. We can blame Will. <laughs> so Cox is going to be playing in his correct position all year long, right? Bogle and Diabate should be much more comfortable at their positions. Carter is solid at 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 worst, right? His floor is six sacks, seven sacks. And, you know, somebody who's going to be like a late round NFL pick. But if he really has made a step, you could see a scenario where he's getting, you know, Ja'Kai Polite and or, um, you know, Jabari Zuniga type numbers where maybe he puts up a season with 11 or 12. And you've got now three transfer defensive tackles that and the two the two starters have apparently beaten out Gravon Dexter, which means I think that he's going to be in for the pass rush situations, which is probably the best-case scenario, right? That in the run game, let those guys get beat up and then yep. bring, in, bring in Gervon Dexter to sort of be the Justin Tuck on the inside of the uh, of the defensive line when you've got him in passing situations. You know, the, those old New York Giants lines that drove the Patriots crazy because they had defensive tackles who could get to the quarterback. I, I think that especially – with the defensive tackles that they brought in. And if they can get pushed up the middle, it's just, you know, it's going to be over. I'm taking it regardless. Like I said, you could have put it at 50. I would have done it. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm not getting burned again this year, man. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll keep moving on so we can sc- scroll through here before we do. Remember, reminder, join Gators Breakdown Plus. Join it by this Friday, September 3rd, for your chance to win this full-size blue Gator script alternate helmet there. I'll be giving it away to Gators Breakdown Plus member. Current members, new members eligible. Join by this Friday, September 3rd. Here we go, Will. We'll keep it going. And this will be uh, just some fun topics here that we hit, uh, some fun superlatives here for this team that will go. Ultimate game changer, Will. I'm going to – I think I'm going to off the board just a little bit here. I'm going trading. Uh, I'll go back to that SEC championship game last year. Uh, had the heck of a play before he got blindsided after the interception, but made a heck of a play there to intercept Mac Jones there in the middle of the field. 
uh, right in Alabama's driving. Uh, Trey Dean's now in more of his home at safety. I think he played really well there toward the end of the year. He's been a monster in camp, uh, probably too physical at times. I've had to dial him down uh, just a little bit in camps, going dating back to spring and fall too. Ultimate game changer. He has found a home at safety. I'm going trading. Yeah, that's a good pick. I think so. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more conservative here, a little bit more maybe chalk. So I'm going Debate. I think he showed flashes last season. He wasn't always able to put it all together, especially early in the year. And he even talked about how COVID sort of let him step back, take a look at some film, become more comfortable in the position. And you really started to see it. Um, started to see it germinate there. The Kentucky game, he was all over the place and really the defensive MVP for that particular game. I think he had the skill last year to neutralize Najee Harris in that SEC championship game, but he didn't have the experience. And I think if he can put it all together, we're going to look at him as the guy who's the most complete linebacker by the end of the year. And a guy who has his kind of speed, if he can convert that into coverage skills, also be somebody who can rush the passer and hold up in the run, which, again, those defensive tackles should help with that as well, right? Keeping the offensive lineman off of him and allowing him to make plays in the run. I think we might be looking at a guy who's deciding whether he's going to go to the pros because he's going to have a real opportunity to be a pretty high draft pick if he shows if he shows consistency for the flashes that we saw last year. Yeah, I see in the comments there, uh, just as game changer, a lot of people saying uh, Bogle, um, players like that, there along the edge. Uh, Diabate was brought up as well. I'll have them uh, brought up just a little bit later on. Uh, but for ultimate game changer, going Trey Dean. Mabu Diabate there for Will Miles. Best tandem. Here we go, Will. I'm going to Emory AR. They talked to uh, AR talked about it last week. They are a one-two punch. I think uh, this one probably is chalk, probably a little easy for the best tandem there. You could probably go uh, any combination of running backs if you think those guys will step up uh, as well. Probably could go somewhere um, on defense as well with the two new transfers or Gervin in one of the, 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 the transfers. I'm going to Emory AR. I think this is a one-two punch at quarterback. I think uh, Dan Muller will have a nice little symmetry here uh, with these quarterbacks. I don't think it will look as clunky as taking Kyle Trask off and Emory coming in. Uh, I think they'll be pretty set when they come in, when they stay on the field. Um, I think it'll be more defined when they come in, when when, when Emory comes off and AR goes on uh, and AR comes off and Emory comes back on. I think it'll be more defined this year. They're both – talented quarterbacks i think they bring a lot to the table the offense doesn't change too much for either quarterback on the field so best tandem for me i think both quarterbacks play a lot emory and ar yeah i kept trying to think about who else to pick and you know you could pick running backs but there's like five of them and how do you know who to pick and you can go safety but you know i don't know that uh you know there's, there's really not a tandem aspect to that just because Rashard Torrance didn't get a ton of playing time last year. So I'm, I'm with you. I go, I go Jones and Richardson. I, I think the interesting thing is that Mullen doesn't ever praise his quarterbacks. I mean, he, he wouldn't even push Trask for the Heisman last year until like after the vote was over, right? I mean, they'd ask him about it. He's like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. And then all of a sudden, the season's over. The votes are in. And he's like, he should really win the Heisman. I'm like, where you been all year, buddy? So, I mean, and he's singing Richardson's praises every week. He's singing them even when people don't bring him up. Um, and so I think he's going to play, and I think he's going to end up being a significant part of the game plan every week. You know, we I remember in 2018, we kept thinking that there were going to be these Emory packages, and they showed up after the bye week against Georgia, but that was really about it. I mean, it was maybe a series, that sort of stuff. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think for two reasons. One is that you need Richardson to be ready in case something happens to Jones because you are going to run him quite a bit more than you would your traditional 
you know, more than he did Kyle Trask last year. And then the other aspect of it is, is I think Richardson is skilled enough that you got to find out what you have in him because you're going to have to make some decisions because of the transfer portal and what, what happens. And, and, and you got to make sure that that guy believes that he's got an opportunity to get out on the field and has an opportunity to play. So yeah, I think Jones and Richardson are going to be guys who get out there. I think they're going to be specific packages for Richardson and maybe not even specific packages because they're such similar type players that it'll just be Richardson executing the game plan and Jones executing the game plan. They'll both learn the game plan, which means they'll kind of be interchangeable depending upon what's going on. This could be like a, a Spurrier where he's got Terry Dean and Danny Werfel just just <laughs> rotate them in every three plays or something with, with Jones and Richardson. I'm I'm interested to see what he does, but I think at the end of the year we'll look back and 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 Jones will be the guy that we say is the starter, but I think the stats for Richardson are look pretty good. Yeah, we could probably get to the end of the season and be like, you know what, if it is a successful season for the Gators, they've been like, well, you know what, it wouldn't have been that successful without AR. And not maybe and not necessarily a hit at Emory. It's just like, hey, that worked well. You know, that that came in and and did its job. Uh and it could have been that way if just Emory had been in there hundred percent of the time. But I think we could we'll look back at the end of the year and say, you know what, that worked out uh when AR got in and contributed to this team. Breakout player is the next one. We'll let you go first, man. <laughs> so people are going to love my pick on this one. I got Mr. Gene DeLance. Oh. He's, heard, he's, he's heard all the noise. I guarantee it. You even saw uh, Braun's dad was talking about everybody, about you know that the offensive line has heard the noise. He also, by a lot of different metrics, is a much better run blocker than a pass blocker. As one of the better run blockers on that offensive line by some of the metrics last year. I think he was put in a situation last year, really the last two years, where he had to do something he wasn't very good at. And, and now he's going to get to do something that he is good at. And I think th- – I'm not sure he's gifted enough to get drafted, but I think we'll hear people talking about him in November similarly to the way that they talked about Stone Forsyth towards the end of last season, right? I mean, Forsyth, I think, was a question at left tackle last year. And then you looked up and went, his guy never gets by him. And I think we're going to look up about halfway through the season and we're going to go – you know, Emory Jones, every time he busts a big run, it's right behind Stewart, Reese, and Gene DeLance. And, you know, may, maybe that's something that, that people won't believe. But, you know, when you look at the film, when they needed a yard last year, they ran behind DeLance. And so converting over to a running running offense or a more running heavy offense, I think he's going to be a much bigger part of the offense this year than he was last year. And I think his shortcomings are going to be um, are going to be masked by having a more mobile quarterback where the defensive end doesn't know where he's going to be every time he drops back. And the threat where the defensive ends have to sort of contain Emory Jones and not let him get outside the pocket is going to allow him to be better in pass protection. There we go. My breakout player, Trent Whittemore. I'm going there. That's where I said I, I, I break him out. I think a lot of people will probably go this route with him. Uh, I went non-safe there for ultimate game changer with Trey Dean, but I probably went a little safe here with Trent Whittemore being the breakout player. Five of his ten catches came in his first two games last season. Then he suffered that rib and lug injuries, uh, was limited in four other games the rest of the season. Two catches for 47 yards versus Oklahoma in the bowl game. And now more of an opportunity. I think he takes advantage, Will. Um, if I went defense, kind of going to the chat here on YouTube that I saw, breakout player, I, I, I'd be going somebody that we haven't seen a whole lot from at that defensive end position, Buck or however you want to label it, Bogle, Chatfield, Newman, Milan, one of those guys, whoever plays the most, I think that's my one of my breakout players uh, for, for that spot. I think one of those guys or maybe even more than one step up uh, and benefit from having – 
better defensive uh, uh, tackle depth. The guys can play in more natural positions. I, hate, I think it helps those guys out as well. So, Will, this our next one. That's where I thought you'd be going, Gene Lance. Our no respect card. That's where I think. That's where I thought it would be. You just a shoe in there for uh, for for one Gene Lance. But who's your Mister No Respect? I got Jacob Copeland. I mean, we've spent all offseason talking about who's going to step up at receiver, and I think we all want to see something from Xavier Henderson or Whittemore or Keon Zipper or even Nick Elksness now. You know, people have been talking about him and how he's been uncoverable, but I don't really hear people talking about wanting to see truly elite-level play from Copeland, but he's he's one of only two top 100 offensive players recruited by Dan Mullen from high school, so Henderson was, I think, 68th overall, and Copeland was 69th overall in that 2018 class. So he's the guy who has the most experience in the system. And here's the reality, right? If you're going to be elite offensively, you got to hit on guys in that top 100 level if you're only going to have two of them every four years. And so Copeland, I think, needs to have a big year for Florida to be successful. You know, I mentioned earlier, I think Whittemore may get to 45 catches. I think Copeland has a shot to do it too. I I think this offense is going to be much more tilted towards the first group of receivers than the second group of receivers. I think part of that is going to be that those guys have either had the experience in the system or have shown a consistency that the guys behind them haven't. And I think, um, you know, again, I think, I think everybody sort of looks at Copeland and says, oh yeah, he'll be able to occupy a spot. But I don't think anybody looks at him and says, can he put up a Tony like year? And I think if you were going to ask me which guy has the opportunity to put up a Tony like year, it'd be Jacob Copeland. All right, there we go. I'm going Britton Cox Jr. I think uh, no respect there. Five-star status. A lot of people don't think uh, he's lived up to that so far. Uh, didn't play a couple years ago. Uh, played at a position last year. Played hurt last year. We found that out after he had the surgery in the offseason uh, that you could tell there. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, he, he did need to get better in some spots. That helps set the edge there. But I think now being able to concentrate on setting and playing in that buck position – I think lives up to that five-star status is coming up fall. I think Britton Cox Jr. will be a force there on the field. And as long as he comes out healthy from everything we've heard, he's expected to be out there and play uh, coming up. You know, maybe a little slower start, but, you know, his leg didn't fall off like one Georgia Bulldog rider would have you think out there. Uh, he'll be ready to go out there uh, and ready to play this year. And by the time the end of the season rolls around, Britton Cox Jr. will be a force for this defense Next one, Will, all intangible, and I'm going with the defensive tackle transfers here for the all intangible. I'll, I'll group those guys both together, the leadership that those guys are bringing uh, that you heard right away from, from just talking to those guys in the media sessions to what Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham has said about those guys coming in uh, and, and being forced, bringing the experience with them, bringing the leadership with them. I think you know that leadership intangible, what this defense missed a lot last year, will be coming a lot from those defensive tackles. Yeah, I go on the defense for this one, too. I'm going Jeremiah Moon. Um, He's been here for what seems like forever. Um, He decides to come back. He's really struggled with injuries. You know, I think he came into the program and people really expected him to be a star, especially when he was starting pretty early. You know, four-star guy ranked 100 or 307th overall. But instead, he's sort of been relegated to backup roles throughout his entire career, really, where, you know, maybe he's gotten some starts here or there, but hasn't necessarily been able to put it together. And we've always sort of been looking for somebody to replace him. But I think it matters that he and Zachary Carter came back to help set the defense straight, right? We've heard a lot of 
We've heard a lot of grumblings about how there were guys who were out for themselves on last year's defense, and these guys have come back specifically because they didn't want to leave with the taste in their mouth that they had last year, obviously to improve their draft stock as well. But I think guys like the transfers who come in at defensive tackle are embraced because guys like Moon have been able to also take a step back and allow guys like Cox to come in, guys like Human Melan to come in and take take reps that Moon otherwise would get, right? And a senior leader who's willing to take that step back, allow guys who are younger, more talented to get those reps, then means that a guy like Gravon Dexter can't complain when you bring in transfer defensive tackles who are also going to eat into his reps, right? A guy like, uh, a guy like, you know, Jadon Hill before he got injured or Avery Helm won't be able to complain if Jason Marshall comes in and really starts asserting himself on the defensive side of the ball at corner. And the same thing at running back, right? That Damian Pierce and, and Malik Davis won't be able to complain if Lorenzo Lingard and Demarcus Bowman start getting reps because they're more talented. So I think for an intangible thing, Jeremiah Moon's the guy who sort of strikes out to me. All right, here we go. This is, this one's interesting, Will. Biggest shoes to fill. Quarterback is obvious. I will also say, if the offense was exactly the same as what we had last year, I'd be saying tight end and trying to replace Kyle Pitts. But for that the offense changing just a bit, biggest shoes to fill, I'm going Jacob Copeland for a lot of reasons you mentioned a while ago. Replacing Kadarius Tony, his 70 catches, it's going to be very tough. I think Florida – you know, even before that, Van Jefferson, you could have labeled a, the number one receiver, but the separation wasn't really there uh, from a, from the other receivers. But biggest shoes to fill and trying to replace some of what Kadarius Tony did last year, I think, will be Jacob Copeland. Come on, man. Like, let's be honest here. Florida hadn't had a quarterback. I didn't want to go obvious. I'm going obvious because it's true. Florida hadn't had a quarterback play even above average since 2009 when Tim Tebow left. It's been a wasteland of position. We got three or four games from Will Greer. We're ready to give Jimmy the Shark an extension. You know, Pitts was was otherworldly at tight end, but he's a tight end. Tony was a fantastic receiver. Um, And in many ways, the heart of the team on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, the most important man on the field is a quarterback. Kyle Trask is the last Gator to get drafted without transferring to another program. And then, I mean, we were QBU. It's just they never actually played well at Florida before they went and got drafted. And in fact, we will go off and transfer uh, Tyler Murphy. Well, we even had another one. We got Felipe Frank starting for the mm-hmm. Falcons the other day in that preseason game. A guy who transferred from Florida and then ends up getting drafted. I mean, that that has been the rep of Florida's quarterbacks is, you, you know, replacing a guy like Tebow has proven to be really, really, really difficult. And we sort of struck lightning with Kyle Trask, right? A guy either two-star or three-star, depending upon what ranking you're looking at, but certainly in the thousands. And that guy comes in and plays at a Heisman level last year. Those are big shoes to fill for Emory Jones. And, you know, because he plays a different style, I think it'll be harder to evaluate how he compares side-by-side with Kyle Trask. But at the end of the day, if Florida's offense takes a significant step back, Jones is going to be the one who gets blamed. Jones is going to be the one who's got the pressure on him. And so I think those are the shoes to fill, even even though it's the obvious one. I mean, at the end of the day, quarterback's the most important position on the field. And, and we saw what happens for about a decade when Florida didn't have a good quarterback. So if you asked me which, one has, which shoes have to get filled for this offense to move, it, it's definitely quarterback. I do agree with you. That is the pick, but I'm, I'm just for sake of conversation. I did good different there. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, last one, Will. Here we go. Bold prediction for the year. I'll let you go first. So, after all the complaining that I've done about recruiting and not being able to match up with the big boys, I think Florida takes Georgia behind the woodshed. 
I, I, re- I released the Kirby Awards this week to make fun of Kirby's decision-making in games. I already had people making excuses about the injuries coming up to bite the Bulldogs. And this is after 24-7 Sports released their roster rankings that had George on top. So I think there's something going on there with the fan base. They don't trust the program. They don't trust the coach. And I think they're sick and tired of the 1980 chance. And I think Florida lets us chant one more year at least. I, I think Florida beats Georgia. And I think, you know, whether that means they win the East or not, I don't know. But I think Florida's going to be able to pull one out against Georgia this year and really make those dogs mutter a little bit as uh, as they wonder how Mullen got him again and got him to two and two. The bold prediction, I got to extend it then because the bold prediction for me is Gators win the SEC East. There we go. I mean, no, I. It is it, it's bold. You know, we have to go bold here. I think that is bold. You know, of course, you know, I picked Georgia at the SEC Media Days to win the the, the SEC East and, and and go on to the SEC Championship game to be to get beat by beat by Alabama. But we asked for bold predictions, and I get you said beat Georgia. I'm saying Gators win the SEC East uh, as well. I think that's about as bold as we can get for, for for this Gator team right now without going. You know. All right, beating Alabama and beating Georgia and beating LSU, going undefeated, winning the SEC and going to the college football playoff. Is it possible? Yes. You know, 24-7 talent, team talent composite, top seven, you know, those teams you know, have an opportunity there. But the bowl prediction will set Florida beats Georgia. Bowl prediction for me, that extends it. Gators win the SEC East. No, no, no. I need to clarify. I didn't say beats Georgia. I said takes them behind the woodshed. At okay. least two touchdowns. At least two <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> uh, let's go I want, I, want, I want it to happen now our bold predictions have to have to pan out there yeah. <laughs> absolutely man it's 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 game week you gotta you gotta get jacked yeah. up for this sort of stuff I, absolutely absolutely uh will quickly before you uh and we went a little bit long here just your quick thoughts uh florida fau this week i'll have a preview later this week i'm bringing on uh uh um, you know, if you guessed, we'll, we'll have, have that all figured out in what we're doing here this week. If you are new to Gators Breakdown, haven't listened to us before, uh, Will and I will get together every Monday night after the, during the season uh, to, to give our thoughts on the game. Then I'll have a, an opponent preview episode with somebody who covers the, the, the opponent. Got that figured out for this week versus FAU. That will be later on this week. As I said earlier on in the episode, Will has his preview up at Reading Reaction. Before we go, Will, quickly, your quick thoughts, Florida FAU on Saturday. Yeah, so uh, Willie Taggart took over. Our old friend Willie Taggart took over for FAU last year, and they immediately dropped from 54th in yards per play on offense to 103rd. So he he imported the Florida State offense when he went with him when he went with him to FAU. They've got Nikosi Perry um, starting former Miami quarterback but really wasn't all that good at Miami either so I think if you get the strength of FAU is their defensive backs they got a bunch of super seniors coming back to the defensive back position they were actually really good last year against the pass in particular they were 13th in the country in yards per pass allowed Um, but not against you know power five teams they avoided (laughs) the games against teams like Florida last year but at the same time pretty good so I think the strength of their defense is is stopping the pass the strength of their offense is going to be running the ball and i think both of those things probably play right into florida's hands spreads 24 and a half i think florida wins i, I think i have it 45 to 10 is what i think florida's going to do to win that one and uh you know i think this one where uh like you said they're going to be a little bit of padding to the to the stats for guys like emory jones once you get to the end of the game and if you got anthony richardson in there at the end hey why not give him one too all right there we go you can read 
in depth Weed's Will's preview at readandreaction.com and find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. Will, anything else, man? No, nah, man. Just we're gonna have a lot up. You're obviously got you've obviously got a lot going up with Gators Breakdown, a lot of content going up behind Gators Breakdown Plus. We're doing the same thing over at Read and Reaction. A bunch of stuff up on our YouTube channel channels to so check that out and some stuff on our Patreon as well if you want to support us. So appreciate everybody taking a look at all of our content and hopefully it makes for a more enjoyable season for everybody. There we go. That's Will Miles. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.